0: So, Dave, I got good news and I got bad news. Uh-oh. So, the good news. so the, good news, uh, the good news is that I am no longer chairman on U.S. Airways. I am now a lowly gold.
1: Nice.
0: So that means I've, I've, I've traveled half as much as I did last year, which is, yeah. uh, which is really nice. Um, yeah. The bad news is somebody sent me a link to a history of the audio that I have sent Google.
1: Mm.
0: And that's, uh, that's alarming. Um, so you can go to, we'll include a link in the show notes, but, uh, you can go and listen to all of the audio that Google has captured, uh, through like the voice typing and Google now and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, that's a nice trip through time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice. There's, there's another one too, that it, it has your location data too. Mm -hmm. So you, you have a breadcrumbs of where you've been and everything. It's, it's nice. (laughs) How are you doing? Good, good. Did you ever put a keyboard in a dishwasher before?
0: Uh, I can't say that I have.
1: Yeah, so I did uh, Mm -hmm. just recently um, because I I have this uh, Microsoft uh, keyboard, like, you know, the old school white uh, ergonomic uh, natural keyboard Mm -hmm, thing. Sure, yeah. You you can't buy them anymore. Um, And it was just like I've had it for, I don't know, 15 years or something. And it's like i love it it works great with my my uh uh, kvm switch here and um it it works great but it was just getting really uh kind of decrepit and yucky so i saw these youtube videos about sticking it in the dishwasher and uh did that and then uh took it out and put it all together and um it uh it works great it's all sparkly clean Pretty much. And uh but the thing I learned though is you know, take a picture of it uh before you completely take it apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh <laughs> it took a while to put it back together, but once you know how to the order of, of how to put it back together it's easy. But uh it's good. It's good. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yep.
0: Um so how's uh a uh, Lauren was in a competition uh, last yes. weekend, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, uh the Pittsburgh Regional for first robotics and um, their team won uh, it's an inspiration award for engineering and so that automatically it's it was like the second highest award at the event so like you hit, like you can um, and that allows them to to move on to the world championship in St. Louis so that that actually got them a spot in the championship
0: oh nice oh that's wonderful yeah,
1: yeah. so you can so one way that you could you know get to the championship is like be like the the top winner in the competition and you know you get slotted to go um we weren't uh we had some technical difficulties at the end which just cratered our score um but the uh but um that i think there's like uh, a lot you know you there are other awards too which this was like the second highest award uh for the event that they got and um, I think it had a lot to do with the outreach that they've been doing with other, uh, robotics teams in the Cleveland area. So, and like helping them out and mentoring them and everything. So, um, it's good stuff. Oh, cool. That's great. Yeah. Very That's proud nice. of
0: them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, I, we got a ton of stuff, uh, this week as usual. Um,
1: yeah. Speaking of competitions <laughs> the results are in,
0: right. That's right. That's right. So we're going to talk about the, uh, uh, the first round of the Thunderdome. Uh, yeah. We'll get the results from that. Uh, We've got a number of product design successes and product design failures. So we yes. can do a little compare and contrast there. Uh, we've got uh, RHEL 7.1 came out that, last week. That's a product design success. Uh, d- of Spoiler course. alert. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see. And then uh, talking a little bit about uh, urban dashboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the uh, director of national intelligence announced uh, the, new, the new cyber threat, Dave, which is the mm-hmm. cumulative cyber threat. Hmm. Hmm. Nice. forget to talk about that. So uh, folks can find links to all that stuff at uh, at where Dave. Uh,
1: we want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show
0: Nice. And what's on the cutting room floor this week?
1: Yeah, we, uh, we have a really nice uh, nuclear bomb uh, blast uh, simulator that you could do right from your browser. So you pick a city that you want to blow up. Pick a bomb that you want to drop on it. And it shows you the the radiation effects, the the blast radius, all that stuff. So it's nice and relaxing. That, um, that sounds soothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have the uh, the very first web browser. So in in you got to check that out. Um, it, it's just really cool. Like using a teletype uh, to to use
0: the World Wide Web. Um, it's is pretty awesome. Um, and then you found uh, Battleshot. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh... You know, the uh, in college, you know, you got your drinking games, right, um, right. like uh, Flip Cup and stuff like that. Uh, this is a, I would say this is a, a leap forward in drinking game technology. It's yep. a game of Battleship conducted with uh, shots of whiskey. Yes. they probably do that at MIT. I, <laughs> I would be disappointed if they didn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so Thunderdome, Dave. Yep, the results are in. The results are in. Uh, everybody, I'm going to put on my best sports announcer voice. Yeah. Uh, so Google, zero days, NSA, 8 to 1. Verizon, backdoors, Facebook, 5 to 4. AT&T injects a semicolon into Lenovo, 7 to 2. And Uber, man-in-the-middle, Samsung, 6 to 3. So right. uh, congratulations to Google, Verizon, AT&T, and Uber. You proceed to the next round. Yep. Um, and it looks like the brackets worked out. So that it's going to be uh, Google versus Verizon and mm-hmm. AT&T versus Uber. Nice.
1: We've got the tel- a, a telecom is going to, uh, there's a good chance for the telecoms to make it to the final round. It that's could too- be
0: Verizon versus AT&T. That's right. That's right. Uh, that I hadn't thought about that, but you're exactly right. Um, this is wonderful it's a, anyways this worked out actually a lot better than i thought it was going to dave <laughs> mm-hmm. um so yeah uh, we'll include a link uh to the uh to the next round in the uh in the show notes so uh please go and vote for your uh favorite or rather least favorite uh company with regards to security
1: yes nice yes speaking of favorites um Raspberry Pi 2 is out. We, we haven't had a chance to talk about that yet.
0: That's right. Yeah, this has actually been loitering in the show notes for a while. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad we finally got to it. So, so what's uh, what's shaken? Yeah, so we got a
1: speed bump from 700 megahertz to 900. So that's not bad. But the big thing is it goes from one core to four cores. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 512 megabytes of RAM to one gigabyte of RAM. Uh, it's the exact same form factor as B+. So the cases and shields will be compatible. And uh, same price of uh, thirty-five bucks. Wow, that's pretty yep. great. Yeah, there are a couple of interesting things I noticed that whenever it came out, that there was uh, there was some news that talked about it was uh, uh, susceptible to intense flashes of light. So, like you have your Raspberry Pi, you take a picture of it with your uh, uh, you know your high-end camera with the xenon flash, uh, or you point a laser pointer at it. And um, if you put it on a right spot of, of the Raspberry Pi, it will actually reboot. It, it causes, a, the flash will cause a voltage drop, and it will cause the device to immediately power off. And, and it's uh, the result of a photoelectric effect, which causes metals to emit electrons when they're hit by certain types of light.
0: Wow. That, uh, that you know, that reminds me a little bit of like, you know, they the t- turn the electronics off when you're in the cabin of the airplane. I mean, it seems like that kind of a goofy interaction that... Uh, yeah, that's that's I I would not have guessed that that would be a vulnerability, and uh, I can hardly blame Raspberry Pi folks for uh, uh, thinking for not, about it, not not yeah. anticipating that particular problem. Yeah, yeah, and and like you know, a lot of
1: the cases are clear too. So mm-hmm. think about that. Um, yeah. Somebody has a, a case sitting on your desk or whatever, or or even like bolted to something. You take a picture of it with your flash. You could you could power it off. So. Um, The other interesting thing I saw, too, is that Microsoft made an announcement that Windows 10 will be available free of charge to makers for the Raspberry Pi 2.
0: Oh, well, that's... uh, I suppose that's good. Here I'm admitting my Windows ignorance, Dave, but why would it be interesting for Windows 10 to be on the second Raspberry Pi, on Raspberry Pi 2? Yeah, so I'm thinking that, you know, they want to get in the whole Internet of
1: Things and maker movement. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing that, well, between like, uh, you know, a lot of it's Arduino, which is microcontrollers, but you, you start to see stuff like the little bitty arms, like the BeagleBone Black and the, um, and the Raspberry Pi, these very inexpensive computers, um, you know, they run Linux and, you know, you could put Linux on it and, and you know, because people can do it. Um, and so Microsoft is—they're going to do that, probably, so they don't miss out on that market. But you know, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people that you know, little little kids going to open up the Christmas present, get a Raspberry Pi two with a copy of Windows 10 in it, and expect <laughs> to run like Minecraft or or Call of Duty or something like that, and it's they're going to be disappointed. Well, actually, in the case of Minecraft, they may not be disappointed. Well, yeah. Well, you can run Minecraft right on your Raspberry Pi on Linux, so you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And then, um, but, and I wonder too, it's like, you know, a lot of the times a Raspberry Pi can run headless and you just SSH into it, uh, which is cool. Um, so I wonder if you have to do like a PowerShell or some sort of SSH into the thing and do like the command prompt and right. you use a lot of backslashes, which
0: drives me insane. <laughs> um but can you stuff the like the .NET runtime? Like, will that even fit on a four-core, one gig RAM machine? I mean, I suppose it would, I guess. Well, it could. I know Java runs on it. Oh, uh, okay. okay. Oracle
1: has a copy of Java just for Raspberry Pi. Okay. So it so. It can't be done. It can't be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, yeah. in in the meantime, with my Raspberry Pi uh, B plus, I, I found a bug and I filed a bug. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, doing my duty. Attaboy. If you see something, say something.
0: <laughs> so, David, I started. Uh, I did. A, I've done a ton of flying recently. Um, yeah. Almost to compensate for my loss in status, and uh, uh, so I've started. Uh, you know, my, my wife is uh, of Swedish descent, and so I've started learning Swedish using a Duolingo. Uh, Who just added oh, okay. a Swedish module? Yeah, um, so it's actually kind of nice. I can spend a portion of my uh, flight time uh, running through the Duolingo, you know, vocabulary exercises and and whatnot. It's uh, it's actually pretty great. I can uh, I can strongly recommend it. I've really, I've really enjoyed it.
1: So it's it's what an app on your phone, and you talk into your phone, and it tells you how you're doing. Or yep,
0: yep, exactly. Um, and so there's not so much talking into it, uh, but it but it does you know kind of read you words or show you words and gives you a bunch of. Uh, well basically it's voc- at this point anyway it's like mostly vocabulary exercises um but it has been pretty great I can now construct you know kind of the sentences of like a two year old Swedish kid so uh good yeah I can say I know how to say uh the bear eats the ant Nice. Uh, yeah. you
1: need that mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so um so how do like the, the people in the plane next to you while, while you're uh verbalizing all these uh, saying the bear eats the ant um how, how do they
0: are they appreciative of it or I wouldn't say so much no I yeah. would, I wouldn't say that uh, I would I wouldn't say that anybody really appreciates it except me actually
1: yeah well what they ought to do is have like the airlines ought to get together and and like offer like video lessons on like how to brine meats and stuff like that so yeah. they could they can do that while you're practicing your your language lessons
0: I wonder I, if they'll ever do that I, I think they might as a matter of fact I think uh, both JetBlue and Virgin America have that have that in the offing. Mm-hmm yep they do
1: Yep. they they
0: are offering uh
1: cooking lessons and uh how to read labels on chocolate um yeah so it's I, I don't know who i don't know if it's a marriott people are working with them or or what as far as like having a list of of uh,
0: there's maybe their study groups are off i don't know <laughs> That's, we are committed to solving problems that don't exist, so they're solving problems that don't exist but then they're solving problems that do exist mm-hmm like these uh, Hotels by Day guys. Yes. So
1: this is, it's kind of interesting, possibly creepy. Um, But yeah, so they have, so Hotels by Day, it's a a new website where you could actually, instead of booking a hotel room for a night, you could book it for the day. Not bad. Not bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So like you do a red eye, Mm -hmm. um, you land at eight in the morning and you just want to shower and just maybe take a nap or something. And then check out, and and uh, you know, so you only use the room for maybe four or six hours or something, and then you're out of there, and then the next person can go and uh, uh, have it for the night.
0: Yeah, no, this is great. This is usually a service that's only available at uh, you know the Motel Six by the airport. So, uh... <laughs> right hourly rates. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. but, uh huh. But but I... it's it's like a, it's like Uber, but for hotels. I mean that's nice. They're taking uh, taking advantage of um, uh, some excess capacity. Yep. Yeah, and um, but I wonder if you know. The, I know there have been a lot of
1: articles about like Airbnb, um, you know, people using that for prostitution and drug deals and stuff. And I wonder if this would be another way to do it, or you know, mm-hmm. kids will be kids, I guess. But um, and then I know too, like with the like the Marriott app. I don't know if you use that. Uh, I do. I do actually. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Where it's like I would be like flying in to say like dc like crazy early and it would i would have they would say hey it's 8 a.m your room's ready and it's like i could go there at 8 a.m and go and have breakfast and lay out my everything get settled and then head into the office or head to a meeting or something so it's it's really nice so you're not like you know, it's 11 o'clock after a big dinner meeting, and you're just, like, ironing pants or something.
0: Like <laughs> right, right. No, that is nice. And I, I, it took me a while to figure out why Marriott wanted me to check in early. Um, mm-hmm. But once I figured out that when I did, they would notify me when the room was ready, that was pretty great. Yeah, yeah, that's that's worth it. Yeah, totally. Speaking of things that are not worth it, mm-hmm. um, you get this, uh, I see this item from a KFC. Yep, yep.
1: Yeah, so we, we talk about coffee a lot on this show, but um, then then looks like in the UK they're bringing uh, edible coffee cups. All right, mm-hmm. more more yeah. more solutions looking for problems. Yeah, yeah. So it, I saw pictures of it. It looks like um, like a paper cup, and then on the inside of it, it it kind of looks like a, like a cookie. Um, with and then inside the cookie, there's like icing inside of it, and then you put the the hot coffee inside there, and then it it uh, it's it's white white chocolate, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So sounds kind of good, and I guess you could eat the whole thing and maybe throw the paper away or something. But um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's what they're working on.
0: I I'm trying to imagine a world in which I would buy that kind of a thing. I that doesn't hard yeah. for me to. I don't. I'm not sold on this. I'm not sold Yeah.
1: Well, I'm surprised they're doing that. I mean, what they should do is like a chicken and waffle cup. See, right?
0: now, now. See, now we're cooking with gas. This is, Yeah. Uh, now we're getting somewhere important. Yeah.
1: Like down south. This would, this would be a down south thing, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So you get a waffle cone. You fill it with
0: gravy and, and bits of chicken. That would sell. I'm Take my money. You. Take mm-hmm. my money. Yeah. Yep. That sounds great.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, oh. And, and put the, it in your cup holder? Uh,
0: uh-huh. Yeah, that's you drive around with it. Yeah, a little uh, chicken and gravy on the go. That's all. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, Uzoma uh, sent us this next item. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about uh, validating identities with driver's licenses and things like this. And uh, Dave, your friends over at uh, the uh, uh, was it GRC? What does that stand for? Uh,
1: Gibson Research Research Corporation. So um, he has a uh, he does a podcast called uh, Security Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Steve Gibson, right? Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, he developed, uh, this, uh, login mechanism that relies on this. Uh, he developed this login mechanism that, uh, relies on putting a QR code on the login page and then use your mobile phone to validate your identity based on the QR code. So you don't need a username. You don't need a password. You don't need a one-time password. Um, it kind of on paper, it looks totally sound. I, Uh, if I had to sum it up it's uh, basically a key exchange with a robot vomit uh, is kind of of the scene there so Dave I don't know if you've looked at this any more carefully than I have but uh, it seems like an intriguing idea I don't know why it wouldn't take off Um, yeah it it seems really cool so like what you could do
1: is like one of the things that like from listening to the podcast their podcast um Instead, like you go to a blog site and it, and then you want to do a comment on the blog and it's like oh I got to create an account I want to create an account and it's it's a big pain and everything well this is a great way for you to be able to log in and consistently log into different places um, and without having to to create an account and so what it does is the QR code if I remember correctly it's it's just basically like you said it's a key exchange where it's it's like the uh, um, you know, just a binary blob that gets, that you can read in through a QR code. You go in and you, um, uh, from your mobile phone, it, it reads that QR code in and then sends that, that it has like a return address of where the result would go back to the server and then it, the, the phone would contact the server and say, hey, this is the result that I came up with and then it lets you in and it, and it gives you a unique identity. And so that way um, on the server side, They don't have to keep any passwords at all. So it's like all you do is just, and you don't even have to have like a username or anything like that. It's just like some number that you are, and the only way that you can get in is through the private key, which only exists on your phone. And you can make backup copies of it, and um, you could have that on your PC. You could have it on your tablet. um, You can move it around too, so you don't have to worry about losing your phone and losing your identity anywhere. Huh. That's interesting. That's yeah. Okay. And and you think about it, too. It's like to me, it's like the, the whole idea of passwords is just it's so well past its time. I, I think
0: this could possibly replace passwords down the road, too. Yeah. yeah you just got to get a kind of a critical mass. You'd need like a large you'd need a large yeah. provider of usernames and passwords like a Yahoo or a Google or something to adopt it and kind of force people to start using the using the system, I guess.
1: Yeah, he on the podcast he said that um, he presented it at some security conference in Las Vegas, and one of the guys in the audience was from uh, Fido. I don't know if you know about that, uh, like FidoNet. Uh, Fido, like the for identity management, uh, oh, like it's oh, like a next generation identity management thing. It's like he saw the presentation. And they went up to Steve Gibson and said, oh, my gosh, this is so elegant and everything, and it sort of negates all the stuff I was working on. Um, <laughs> and it's like, I wish I would have thought of it, because it's so much simpler than all the complicated stuff that he did. So, right. And that's what Steve Gibson said. So, um, But it's still, it's it's pretty interesting, and, and people should check it out. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's all open source.
0: So so the next item is from Uber, uh, who's been on this like PR blitz uh, to compensate for uh, all the things that earn them uh they're moving into the second round of our thunderdome yeah um, yeah so they're trying to do you know they're doing a bunch of charity work uh and what's that their latest item is uh they're going to enlist a million female drivers by 2020 right yes do you, do you see any problems with that I uh, well, I think it's very clever of them to promise to do something in 2020, uh, which is long past the time anybody's going to remember that they had made this promise.
1: Uh, yeah, so it sounds like weird. a politician that will be out of office by then. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but this is this is supposed to uh, compensate for for what, Dave? For the the uh, the attacks uh, that Uber mm-hmm. drivers were attacking women in India, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So they're like they're like, oh, we're going to respond to this as so a PR disaster. They are. Um, oh, we're going to put panic buttons in 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 your app. So if you're being attacked by your Uber driver, you can push a button, and while you're being attacked, you could you could uh, uh, have police come to you and all that. And and I guess they have the idea now that well, what if we have women drivers, and that'll help maybe make the problem go away.
0: Right, right, because it would be impossible for a male driver to attack a or a male passenger to attack a female driver. Yeah, I don't know if they thought this through. Um, <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think they have either. I get the sense that. Uh, a bunch of programmers over at Uber were having drinks in a bar one night, and decided that this would be a really good idea. Um, or, or the the uh, crisis agency that is like, yeah, this is what we're gonna do. You know, know this, by the way, Uber, find out who Uber hired as their crisis agency, and make sure they never get hired by anybody ever again because they are doing a terrible job. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, my my prediction is now they're going to brag about having, um, hey, I'm being attacked button for the drivers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is a feature. Yeah. Not a bug. It's a feature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess that's why cabs have the that like plastic separator between the driver and the passenger.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, only in the hairiest cities, right? I, I don't know. The, what a it's just awful what a terrible company what a terrible company a terrible image that does terrible things they don't care they, yeah. they obviously don't care they obviously yeah. don't care alright uh, lighten my heart Dave you got a movie plot kit for us yeah yeah this is a
1: do it do it yourself movie plot um, so scientists have figured out a way to store data inside your DNA and that could last millions of years wow this is like
0: a Johnny mnemonic but like up on the next level right
1: Mm-hmm. yep yeah. So according to this article, one gram of DNA can store the equivalent of
0: 14,000
1: Blu-ray discs.
0: Okay. Uh, that's a lot of Netflix. That's a lot of Netflix. That's a lot of Netflix. Um, I wonder, although storing something in DNA it seems like it might do something to the DNA that maybe you don't want. Yes. Yes. It, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's like you could store it there, but do you want to put it back in you? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I downloaded yeah. House of Cards, but now I have wings. Yeah, maybe you want that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Huh. Um, I have read, you know, over the years, I've read a number of articles about using these kind of like biological hard drives. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And using DNA and I guess other and there was uh, storing data with bacteria as well was going to be a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Where you like store it in the bacteria, and then you use like blue lasers to kill bacteria or make help the bacteria live, and somehow you're going to store information that way. Um, it'll be really interesting. I mean, once we, you know, eventually we're going to start reaching limits on you know silicon and and other uh, kind of more traditional media. Um, it'll be interesting to see where this biological stuff goes, um, and also a little gross. It's going to be gross. Yeah. Well, and also think about the you know for your movie
1: plot, right, where somebody wants to. Um, you know, you got the micro SD cards. They're they're getting pretty small, and you can store a lot on there. And so you get the spy that's trying to steal from the the government agency or whatever. Um, you know, how are they going to pat somebody down and, and search their DNA for uh, for uh, you know uh, data that's being stolen?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Gattaca. We saw this. Gattaca. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You to run a vacuum over everybody before they leave the office to make sure they didn't smuggle anything out. Yeah. Well, what if it's in? What is? What if it is you? What if you are the data? Oh right. Well, I guess you gotta completely dissolve every employee and then reconstitute. Sequence them. Yeah, yeah. sequence mm-hmm. them and then and then yeah, reassemble them on their way out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's a business opportunity for somebody, I'm sure. So start working on that. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Right. Um, <laughs> hi, John. Can you come in my office? Uh, and if you could bring a cardboard box and uh, step in this vat. <laughs> so, <All right. laughs> Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, so you know, we're never going to get there, Dave. We're never going to get to uh, uh, these like frontiers of science and, and computer science if uh, more people don't learn uh, computing languages, right? Yes. Yes. Um, so, but Washington has a solution for that, for us, don't, don't they?
1: Yep. Yeah. They they want to uh, they want to uh, make computer science count as a foreign language,
0: which uh, I don't. I got a bunch of snarky comments about this, but I'm, I'm wondering where your head's at with it
1: yeah I like well, let's give a little background. It says that uh if if the bill passes, two years of computer science will count uh for university admission, uh, i guess as a foreign language um, and then it it uh uh it would amend uh, current state law which recognizes any natural language that is formally studied uh that includes uh, uh native American languages, American sign language, Latin. Or ancient Greek. Um, they don't list Klingon or Dothraki. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, but you know, he's uh, the bill's author, uh, Chris Reichdahl, uh, uh, told the, this uh, the the website that he believes in well-rounded education, including a foreign language. Um, that most students end up um, they they study it uh, way too late in high school, and so it's really it's just something they do and they forget. Um, so. What they what they should do instead is do the foreign language stuff in elementary schools uh, to while their their brains are still forming, I guess. Uh, So that way they're fluent by sixth or seventh grade. And then by high school, um, it's you know, it's just uh, it's a lot easier for them.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I certainly don't disagree with that. That, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what I'm confused by is why is he putting all the eggs in this basket since this basket is being like consistently cut from high school and elementary school programs, right? Like foreign language is not something as a country that we invest in particularly well. Um, and so Great. why throw a computer science under that bus? Um, it's just very confusing. Unless this is like a Trojan horse thing where like if we suddenly make foreign languages a STEM thing, Right, uh, then suddenly, you know, foreign languages become this, you know, focus of investment. Um, but uh, the whole thing just seems it's a goofy, it's a goofy solution when the problem seems like the solution seems much more straightforward, um, which is just to start teaching languages earlier. Right.
1: Um, well, that that's one part of it, but the other part is that he's like, well, why should we waste time learning a foreign language? Um, when there is such a gap of computer programmers out there and instead just call C++ a foreign language and um, let that count instead of learning Spanish or French. Right.
0: Uh, Do we happen to know uh, which state uh, Representative uh, Reichdahl is from? Yeah, let's... The state of... Oh, man, I I would lose this bet. Yeah, and when you say
1: Washington, I believe that this is a state bill. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Yes, that makes sense. Um, at first, I was going to say that this is going to be a xenophobic, know-nothing kind of a representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, now that he's from the state of Washington, now it becomes perfectly clear to me what's going on. Uh, yeah, are there
1: any uh, software companies in Washington that you know of? There just might be.
0: Yeah, yeah. There might be, uh, they might, in fact, they might be uh, very busy porting uh, Windows 10 over to the Raspberry Pi 2 and find themselves uh, suddenly short on uh, people who know some programming languages. Uh, yeah. So you've got to fill the funnel. Got to fill the funnel. Yep. Hmm. Terrible.
1: Yeah, and I think we often make the assumption too that it's like, why bother learning a, a foreign language because English is the language of business, and that everybody else should learn English anyhow, and so why should we waste the time doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't the right thing to do. No, no.
0: That's uh, in fact, like my great shame, you know, when I go visit uh, uh, Ingrid's uh, family in Sweden, is you know they all speak English fluently. Um, and of course, Swedish, and then usually one or two other languages, right? And it's mm-hmm. um, and it's just kind of expected. And it's uh, it's kind of like you know, for me, it's like personally embarrassing that I have so few languages at my command, right? Um, got a, a little bit of French and a little bit of Arabic, but all of that was uh, kind of accidental and is um, kind of long since uh, left my left my head. Um, yeah. And you know, if I also you know, just. For its own sake, it's fun to learn a foreign language, I think. I mean, you know, I'm you know, going through this Swedish stuff on Duolingo, and it's kind of feels like a nice brain exercise, right? I feel, it actually yeah. feel, makes me feel like I'm getting smarter. Um, and uh, kind of de-emphasizing that for a more, uh, well, let's say, technical curriculum seems like the wrong direction to go to. It's just...
1: Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, if it's like from the United States perspective, it's... Easy for us to only have to know one language, we can get away with it because mm-hmm. it's like a whole country that's homogenous on English. Mm-hmm. Where you go to Europe and you go a couple hundred miles and you're in a different country speaking a different language. Yeah. Oh, so and also it's, it's more necessity. Sure, sure.
0: And uh, also, let's not forget the fact that uh, when we talk about a computer language and the complexity of learning a computer language and the complexity of learning a foreign language, they are mm-hmm. worlds apart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you learn Python, uh, it's not all that hard to pick up another you know, PHP or yes. Node or something like that. In fact, once you've learned two or three programming languages, unless you're talking about something insane like Lisp. I was uh, about to say, yeah. <laughs> um, you've pretty much, like you can pick up in just like a few days or maybe a couple weeks, you can, you can get pretty conversant in any other language. Um, and so this idea that because, well, they're both called languages, so obviously they both require years of study. Um, yes. That just seems bananas. That seems bananas.
1: Yeah, like you're not gonna get a PhD in C. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you do, you're I'd I don't I wouldn't go to that school. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one guy who's done that and his name is Knuth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh all right. Uh what what have we got here next? Oh yes. Uh some more invasive uh employee business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so if a company made a
0: a happiness monitor uh, to monitor your happiness and report it to your boss, would
1: would that be the kind of thing you'd be all for?
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm utterly uh, ignorant to my own disposition most of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. I I frequently need reminding that I'm happy. I need reminding that I'm sad. Uh, I need reminding that I'm afraid. Uh, So I would love to externalize all that stuff and just have a little device that tells me uh, whether I'm happy or not. That would be great. uh, That tells management. Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so Hitachi, they have this product. Um, it collects data 50 times a second uh, to detect certain types of actions from various types of movements, such as walking, nodding, and typing. And then it uses that data as collected to
0: interpret the group's overall mood. So you know what's interesting about this is that this seems dumb, but not invasive to me. Because it's aggregate? Uh, maybe because it's aggregate, but even so, like... You know, listen. If my boss knew what, if my boss knew whether I was quote unquote happy or not based on my walking and nodding and typing, um, I mean, that seems fine. It doesn't seem invasive. But like I say, it doesn't seem invasive. Like I'm actually fine with him having that kind of information about me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't find it particularly threatening. Uh, I do find it scary that that would replace traditional management techniques like talking to me. Yes. Yes. Right. That's
1: that's what I was about to say. Is oh, I
0: don't need to manage anybody.
1: I could I could just uh, have this dashboard and and see uh, the happiness meter, and I don't have to talk to anybody. That's and right. And you wonder why all your employees are upset.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Ever since we installed these happiness monitors, the results just aren't what we expected. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's a little bit like uh, you know, like Deming says, uh, you can't manage it if you can't measure it. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so actually, I think the scarier thing about this is kind of what happens when management reacts to getting information like this. Um, yes. You know, like mandatory electroshock therapy, maybe. I don't know.
1: Or, or what about the managers, managers, managers? Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's like now you have the manager that is now forcing everybody to be happy. Or you know, you know, in order to drive his numbers up because he looks bad to his management.
0: Yeah, and in fact, working in organizations for long enough, I know exactly how this is going to go. Uh, the you are not going to uh, make people happier uh, as a result of getting this kind of data. What you're going to do is start mandating walking and mandating nodding and mandating typing as part of uh, as part of <laughs> yes. the workday, right? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I wonder too. if Down the road, it's like Google or your Fitbit and all that. Well, not only. It can detect your biometrics, but also interpret that
0: into, oh, he's happy or he wants to buy something or
1: Mm -hmm. something like that.
0: Yeah. And then, oh, and we haven't even talked about uh, insurance companies who would be delighted to have this kind of information to update their actuarial tables, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I wonder if if the people at uh, Foxconn that are making these have to wear them. <laughs>
0: that's right. Yeah, patient zero for the happiness monitor is the Foxconn employees. <laughs> yeah, maybe it can be uh, maybe it can be integrated with the shackles they're forced to wear. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. The, the yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's definitely a product design failure. But we also have a success, right? Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah, you found a different kind of dongle.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, It the the obviously named STD dongle,
1: (laughs) yeah, which sounds really inappropriate. (laughs) Um, yeah, so
0: uh, it doesn't sound like something you want to touch either. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, it's like hey, guys, look at this STD dongle I got. Um, (laughs) whoa, (laughs) easy text, Yeah. yeah. Um, so no, this is a, uh, enzyme linked immunoabsorbent assay, uh, but it's right in your pocket. Uh, so yes. it, this can screen for certain, uh, STDs and it, uh, it's just a dongle that plugs into a smartphone and, uh, it's, it, you know, can do basically like field diagnoses of, uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Um, mm-hmm. so it sounds kind of goofy and sounds like it might be popular, you know, I don't know, in college or retirement communities. Uh, but they've actually fielded it mostly in, uh, in Africa. Uh, it's actually yeah. a great way to bring, uh, uh, to bring this otherwise expensive and time-consuming uh, diagnostic uh, actually out into whatever remote villages and so forth. Oh, and it, Dave, it works on Android and iOS.
1: Nice. Mm-hmm. Great.
0: Yeah, pretty great. So, Dave, did you ever use Google Code?
1: Um, I, I haven't, but I have
0: used projects that were hosted off of it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I never care for it. It always felt a little dinky. I I like like subversiony. It felt super subversiony. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just me, or did like, subversion always felt like this kind of annoying and intermediate step between CVS and Git? Yeah. It was kind of yeah. this this like embarrassing teenage step for uh, for version control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, but unfortunately, Google Code was built up around it, right? Uh, yeah, well, I guess it was, was it pre-Git? I don't know if it was pre-Git.
1: Hmm. Um, or maybe it was before Git became the the de facto standard. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is what, uh, the short version of this is like Google basically just buckled and gave up the space to GitHub, just said, mm-hmm. listen, GitHub, you win. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I wonder, I'm sure the, the GitHub people are just thrilled. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not even sure if they would notice the influx of of projects coming in from Google Code. <laughs> right, but but to, but they're publicly advocating people to use GitHub. Yeah, and in fact and in fact, providing an export to GitHub tool uh, from Google Code, yep. which is really nice of them, actually. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's you know that is the nice thing with Google is that they um, uh, they do provide a way for you to pull your stuff out and put it somewhere else and try to make it seamless when they do retire stuff. That's right, um, yeah, the takeout program. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so what I've read about this, though, is that um, one of the bigger concerns is, you know, it's cool that it's like they've made that path where you can move from one to another, and that's, that's cool. But um, the bigger concern is what about Abandonware, where you have these projects that were hosted on there and the guy moved on or he died or whatever. Um, what, what happens there when people that are relying on the code that's living there um, and that it, the the web server gets uh, or the server gets shut off, this hosting that code because you you have to as a owner
0: of that source code repository, it's up to you to pull that out. Right, right. Well, I suppose uh, I would I would not be surprised to learn that like folks at the Internet Archive uh, had started uh, a project to start exporting uh, projects out of uh, out of Google Code. That seems like kind of right up their alley. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but besides, you know, they're philanthropy um yeah you're right i mean uh, the we, there stands a good chance that we're actually going to lose a lot of this stuff
1: yeah and you're and, and i think that's a great idea too because it's not like it's source code so it's text files so it's super compressible um it's not like tons of video files and stuff like that so i wonder if it's that much storage compared to say like youtube yeah 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 just so yeah that's right
0: um yeah Huh. Well, sorry, Google Code. Um, but uh, I don't think anybody's going to miss it too much. No. Uh, I think uh, GitHub is, in fact, a pretty fantastic solution for this problem. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Speaking of code, Dave. Yes. RHEL 7.1. Yep. Yep.
1: It's out. Uh, it, I'm excited about it. Um, it has uh, the SCAP security guide baked into it, it's right, right on the ISO. So that's pretty cool. Mm hmm. That
0: is cool. Uh, and also and then, some, and also, some new flavors.
1: Yes. Yeah, there's a, a new member of the RAL family, uh, a couple new members. Um, there's RAL for real-time. Um, so that's something I've been working on for a while um, to, to get out the door. Uh, so that is for the, the people that need uh, low latency and, and excellent determinism. Uh, uh, we have a software-based real-time Offering so that's that's really exciting, mm-hmm. um, and and the cool thing with RHEL for real time is that this is going to retire what we we used to have merge real time, right. uh, which the way it used to work is you would get like RHEL five which was 2618. and then we would have like some crazy three point x kernel that we would add it, it, you know it's like the latest stable kernel we would apply the 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 real time patch set to it and then support that. And then so as a result, like the drivers were way different and there, was, there were all kind of differences. And, and a lot of the times the, the guys that were doing the real-time code, they spent a lot of their time just backporting bug fixes and, and security fixes instead of focusing on the real-time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now with RHEL for real-time, a lot of the, the stuff that we wanted in, in real-time has actually made it into the 3.0 kernel because we were pushing everything upstream. And now that RHEL 7 has the 3.10 kernel, um, the the code base for REL for real time is the 3.10 kernel, but we just build it in a different way and we apply that the rt patch set directly to that so it's it's really cool it's, i'm i'm really happy with how oh, that's to great out. that's
0: i mean i remember when merge real time came out and and we we're like yeah like in the future we don't want this to be a patch we want this to be part of the mainstream um for yep. all the reasons that you just mentioned and so it's really great to see us kind of finally hit the mark there that's that's awesome that's great yeah
1: so the the daylight between the two is is very uh small but um and and what we do with the uh Role for real time is that you know, we took a lot, took a look at a lot of the code paths in in, uh, in the Linux kernel, and where wherever we saw a very long code path, we would uh, uh, you know the the kernel the real time engineers would break that up into like smaller uh, smaller threads, and so you could uh, more easily interrupt uh, the processes.
0: Oh, that's great! That's great. And so actually, uh, even if you're not using the actual real time product, you're actually benefiting from a lot of the real time work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yep that's yep. awesome that's awesome and thank you to uh, both the US Navy and to Wall Street uh, some mm-hmm. firms on Wall Street um, who over the years have contributed to this real-time effort um, yep. so a really great collaboration there that's great yeah uh, so Dave I, I you, Dave you know I love containers I love them yes you, um, you have a bunch of them at I do home, right? I do mm-hmm. uh, I wonder though if uh, a full blown RHEL 7 install is maybe a little bit too much for me maybe I need uh, maybe I just need like a uh, an operating system that is like optimized for running containers and nothing else. Yeah. What do you, what do you got for me? How, how about roll atomic? That sounds exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's,
1: <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So Relatomic, atomic, it allows, it's just enough operating system to run containers. Um, all the containers are separated with, uh, multi-category security with SE Linux. Um, and and uh, you know we're we're using C groups and all, all the good stuff that's built into RHEL 7, but it's it's all tuned for that. And then um, it we have a technology inside of it called OS tree. So whenever there's a it allows you to do what what we call atomic updates. So instead of a like glibc vulnerability comes out or something like that, instead of pulling down a, a handful of packages and having all the dependencies and all that stuff. Um, you, you basically do an Atomic update, and it updates the, the system all at one time. So you could almost think of it as like when you get a new version of the Android OS. It's, it's just basically you're not updating little pieces of the OS. It, it pulls down the whole thing. Um, and then you could imagine, again, the, um the apps that would run on the Android OS, you could think of them as the, the containers that would run on top of RHEL mm-hmm. uh, Atomic, and you can update them independently,
0: too. Right, right. This is, you know, we, we anyone who's administered a, a Linux system knows the kind of, like, hell that is um, kind of heavily contingent uh, installations, right? So, like, I update the calculator app, and suddenly my, like, glibc is updating, right? Um, mm-hmm. And this is one of the things I love about containers is this ability to kind of compartmentalize that problem um, mm-hmm. and... So this doing these Atomic updates is great. Um, being able to isolate each application from the other is pretty great. Um, and also this notion of super privileged containers is pretty cool, mm-hmm. yep. um, which is how, like, obviously if you have the whole OS is, like, broken up into containers, you need some containers to actually have special privileges. Um, yes. And so Atomic gives you a way of... Uh, designating certain containers as having kind of super user privileges, which actually makes the whole operating system more secure, which is pretty great.
1: Yep. Yeah. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and Dan Walsh wrote an interesting blog post. Um, and one part of it that caught my attention was he gave an example of how to run Docker um, with the SE Linux context using multi level
0: security. Cool. So you can do like top secret containers next to secret containers next to unclassified containers.
1: Yep, I put a link in the show notes for that. that can, everybody sounds, should check it out. That
0: sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Uh, you know what else is awesome, Dave? Simon Lukasik. That's right. So we got a, we got a note from a fan of the show, Simon Lukasik, uh, who is actually one of the engineers on uh, the uh, OpenSCAP uh, effort, mm-hmm. uh, or yep. at least part of the OpenSCAP effort. So he's been working on a feature that is going to show up in Red Hat Satellite 6.1, mm-hmm. uh, which is called the Compliance Center. Um, which is super cool, Dave. I, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the demos or the screenshots yet, but um, it's a web-based utility for going through SCAP results. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And if you've ever been through uh, a CNA process, this is just this is magical. Um, mm. You can use the satellite server to go interrogate a bunch of machines, and you get back a clicky, gooey, beautiful report uh, that you can print out and hand over to your manager. It is awesome. It is awesome. Uh, nice. So we'll include a link to the presentation that Simon did and uh, uh, and a, uh, his talk at uh, DevConf this year. Uh, it was just awesome. So uh, nice work, Simon. Uh, thanks. Yes. For the, thanks for the email. And, and thanks for listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Uh, so Dave, you know I'm a fan of uh, Whisper Systems, Open mm-hmm. Whisper Systems, and uh, the yes. TechSecure app. Uh, so for for you iOS users out there, folks with, the, with your iPhones. Um, They've released their a new version of their uh, iOS application uh, Signal, um, which is a which is compatible with TextSecure. So this hmm. is pretty great. So now an iOS user can send a text message to an Android user, and the whole thing is seamlessly encrypted.
1: Hmm. Well, wh- why don't they just call it TextSecure?
0: Uh, well, so Signal is actually where they're headed. Uh, so there's this kind of horse race between the features on the Android side and the iOS side. Um, Mm -hmm. Their ultimate vision is to have one application called Signal, which will handle both voice and text messages. Mm, And so iOS is the first one to actually have one app that includes both features. Uh, On the Android side, we still have Red Phone for voice and Text Secure for uh, for text messages. Um, Mm. But really cool to see uh, this technology and the standards behind it uh, get get some more exposure. Uh, So nice work, guys. So, Dave, I read this uh, really interesting uh it, it's it's this article about the history of dashboards in cities yeah uh so this is like the big fad now right like in new york and boston i think probably the most famous one is a Copstat in new york city mm-hmm. um, so that you know they literally got this dashboard that shows data of the performance of the police department in new york city and you can go or you know the city managers or the mayor can go into the dashboard and kind of see how the departments are doing. And then each department or each precinct is held accountable for the data uh, that Mm -hmm. they get. Um, Kind of a controversial thing. If you've ever seen The Wire, you know why. but uh, this notion of like a dashboard for a city or being able to take kind of the vital statistics of a city and kind of judge its health and general well-being um, has really grown. It's a, the Code for America folks are, are big on this, obviously. Someone wrote a really great article um, on kind of the history of the dashboard, um, mm-hmm. which is almost uh, like more than journalism. It it's almost feels like a work of anthropology. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, the whole thing was totally fascinating. I strongly recommend everybody read it. Uh, so we'll include a link to that in the uh, in the show notes. So I wonder if the dashboard could be used to measure the police officer's happiness. I guarantee you it could. I guarantee you it could. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, nice. That that might be a worthwhile exercise, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way things have been going. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so another uh, another interesting article was about a speech that uh, the director of national intelligence gave recently. Um, so he came up with this notion, or he, he he's starting to expound this notion of uh, uh, it, so you know there's this cliche now about the uh, the, the cyber Pearl Harbor, right? Yeah. Uh, this yeah. idea that kind of like there's going to be one catastrophic event. Uh, that is going to disable the power grid, uh, that's going to uh, poison our water, or what have you. Um, it was interesting kind of change in tone and an interesting way of describing the problem. He says that uh, that's less likely uh, than a cumulative cyber threat. Uh, and so what he's saying here is uh, that instead of it being one big event, uh, you can see a kind of cascading or uh, a, well cumulative uh, kind of series of attacks uh, that result in enough disruption and enough disorientation that it would actually cause like material damage to the country. I thought hmm. that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, so so instead of like planes falling out of the sky everywhere and all that, it's just like um, I don't want to say death by a thousand cuts, but but maybe like uh, attacking a bunch of. I don't know credit card companies at one time or or
0: something like that. Well, I think uh, he was describing I think something even more insidious than that, which is imagine heart bleed, but every week. Mm. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. So that would like that would throw us off and keep us so busy trying to remediate and fix things that it would that it would result in kind of even more damage than like a plane falling from the sky. Yeah, but would. And that, I suppose
1: that could cause some economic damage um, mm-hmm. because then it also leaves it's, – it's more than just the cost of everybody running on patch and stuff, but it's also leaving everybody vulnerable who didn't patch yet. And and so now you have um, – the, the vulnerability would cause um, – unleash all kind of criminals or, or crafty terrorists to start uh, breaking into systems that they think are lucrative targets.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, and also – uh, you can imagine in in a, in a world where heart bleed is happening every week uh, that suddenly you no longer trust certain systems that rely on on security, right? So, if your ATM is no longer reliable, right? What does that do to What does that do to the economy? Um, online banking suddenly is not in the cards, right? Um, and uh, by undermining these institutions through this kind of constant cadence of, of vulnerabilities or attacks, um, you can really see how somebody could do some pretty serious damage. Um, anyway. yeah.
1: But do you, do you think though that the, like a number of, if there was a smaller number of attacks that were higher profile, that would lead into making the businesses or the infrastructure stronger because it creates a, uh, like a public awareness
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Well, optimistically, yeah. Um, Like, people uh, wouldn't have heard about Heartbleed if you just went by the CVE number. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, Although, certainly in the IT community, that, uh, I mean, the the vulnerability was bad enough that um, if we didn't call it Heartbleed, we would have called it something else, right? Yeah. Um, I think that... uh, Well, there's two two interesting angles to this. Like, first of all, great point, right? Um, There is a destabilization through this, like, constant cumulative. uh, There's a destabilization that comes with this accumulative kind of security vulnerability, right? Um, But on the other hand, also, if I'm the director of national intelligence, uh, this is way more lucrative than a cyber Pearl Harbor uh, Mm -hmm. because this is a threat that will never go away. Um, yes, this is a threat that guarantee actually, funding yeah. guaranteed funding mm-hmm. till the end of time, right? Mm-hmm. If I identify this as the problem I have to solve. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think pretty, pretty cunning, pretty clever, pretty clever. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. All right, Dave. Well, this I don't know. This is an episode of ups and downs. Uh, we had edible, yes. co- edible coffee cups. We had uh, cumulative cyber threats. We got urban dashboards. Uh, we got a, we had an excellent mailbag. Uh, we're entering now the second round of uh, the security Thunderdome so Dave if uh, folks need a review uh, if they want the links to some of the stuff that we talked about on the show where should they go
1: yeah and especially if they we need to have them vote in the second round uh, mm-hmm. for the for the Thunderdome um, right. they need to go right now to uh, dgshow.org so D's and Dave G's and Gunner show.org alright uh, well thanks Dave have a great week Yeah. thanks everybody thanks Gunner